Welcome back to the All of Life for God podcast, everyone. This is the second episode in our, what book are we talking about again? Glorifying and Enjoying God. That's right. The Glorifying and Enjoying God uh, devotional that was put together by Andrew Miller, who's in studio today, Jonathan Cruz, and Bill Bokestein. And for those of you who listened to the first episode, you'll remember that yesterday uh, we had a, a talk with all three of these guys in studio, which was great. And you can listen to that over at the Modern Puritan podcast. And we'd love for you guys to listen to both podcasts and be a part of this little community that RHB is creating. Today, however, what we're going to focus on is the second main topic that's covered in the Glorifying God uh, resource, and that is the authority of Scripture. And that's why I have Andrew Miller here with me today. And Andrew and I are just going to chat just briefly, 10, 15 minutes or so, about the, well, basically two two things about this topic, the authority of Scripture. Number one is, well, what is it about? And number two is, why does it matter? So, Andrew, welcome to the All of Life for God podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's good to have you here yesterday, too. Um, that that was fun having the three of you guys yeah, in studio. I but I'm, I'm looking forward to this because here you and I get to sit and get drill deeper into one of the topics. Yesterday we did very much of a broad brush about just catechisms in general, right? Mm-hmm. We we're going over oh, yeah. the history of catechisms and um, the influence of the early church and even the Catholic church into the reformers and how this structure of catechesis or uh, teaching mm-hmm. probably be a good instruction, yep. teaching and instruction. We'll get back to the topic of the authority of Scripture, but my doctoral work was actually on Pseudophilo, who a lot of people don't know Pseudophilo. Pseudophilo is this ancient Jewish writer who did a um, a rewriting of the Old Testament from Adam to the death of Saul. So covering that whole arc, that whole narrative arc. But it's believed by Pseudophilo scholars that Pseudophila was um, intended as a, a uh, teaching resource, especially for younger Jewish, mm. Jewish like for Jewish children, um, as a way to highlight certain elements from the Old Testament yeah, um, in a more concise manner and in a more narrative and even like legendary sense. Like <laughs> what would they call them? Flannelographs? I, you made me think of Promise and Deliverance by S.G. DeGraff. It's a four-part Sunday school series oh. where he – it's a Dutch author, so he should be big in these parts. But um, he goes through the whole of Scripture, and he just summarizes, here's what you would teach if you taught Sunday school. So it might be a similar thing. Well, sort of flannel graphs, I think, are those um, – like an old Sunday school curriculum, there'd be like these little, these little pictures of Jesus and the disciples, or Abraham or Moses, and they would, uh, they would uh, represent kind of biblical stories. Anyway, hmm. well, that maybe that's a good segue into the authority of Scripture because <laughs> yeah, we're talking about things that aren't Scripture that are meant to 
talk about Scripture. Yeah. So what's interesting about the authority of Scripture as um, spoken of in something like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which your book focuses on, um, is that the Westminster Shorter Catechism isn't Scripture, and yet it's talking about the authority of Scripture from which the the Westminster Shorter derives everything that it talks about. And as we as we talked about yesterday on the Modern Puritan podcast, we were discussing how um, you could look at the Westminster Shorter as mostly paraphrase of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, let's get to that main question, which is when we're talking about the authority of Scripture or when the Westminster Shorter Catechism is talking about the authority of Scripture, what do we mean by that? Yeah. Well, the first question and answer, everybody knows, uh, you know, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And then the second one gets into the how. You know, how can you actually do that? That's That's an amazing chief end and purpose for our lives and meaning in life. And so if that's our our wonderful calling in life, then we need to know how to do it. And so that's where the second question goes right into what rule has God given to direct us in how we can glorify and enjoy him. And, you know, you brought up uh, our conversation yesterday where we talked about what is a catechism. And I I know we talked about um, the catechism as a map. And I think that's really a helpful thing because we all use maps in our day-to-day lives, right? We use GPS on our phone. It tells us, here's, here's where you are, and here's how you get to where you are. Um, and yet, those maps that we use in everyday life, they can't direct us to find God. And so we need a different direction, and that's what the Scriptures provide us with um, in God's Word, that, that highest authority that is, is necessary for us. It's necessary because as great as nature is, that pours forth uh, speech. You know, Augustine said that every day creation is saying, look at how amazing the God is who made us. Um, As great as creation is, uh, you know, and we know as human beings made in God's image that certain things are right and wrong, uh, the the world, general revelation, doesn't uh, give us knowledge of Christ. It doesn't show us how to live as Christians in that particular way, how to, how to have faith in Christ and what Christ has done. And so we need the scriptures uh, in that sense. Um, and, you know, it, it uses that rule in the catechism. What is the only rule um, that God's given to us? And that we have that word canon. Um, and it's interesting, I, I preached through Second Corinthians recently, and in chapter 10, it talks about Paul saying, you know, this, this is um, the place of my assignment. This is where, where God has, has put me. And he's using that word canon, and you can get to the, the origin of the word is these Olympic games. So if you can imagine Olympics and you have runners with a track marked out for them, you know, that's kind of what to think of with canon is this, this is the way that God is, is telling us to live. And so uh, that's really a foundational thing for talking about um, the canon of Scripture is this is our rule of faith and practice, and um, you know we we love books, we we love uh, all these other guides. I you know I love um, so many different authors and writers, uh, Christians that have gone before us that are helpful, 
but they're always secondary to Scripture. So, um, you know, God's Word is our primary authority. That's, that's where the buck stops. And we have all these other helps that will expound Scripture, explain Scripture, or go into details about how we live that out. But ultimately, it all comes down to Scripture. Mm. And mm. so uh, the Catechism digs right into that in that second question. Um, you know, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And then question three, what do the scriptures principally teach? And we talked about that a little bit yesterday, that uh, the catechism is unfolding. What are What's the most important things? What are, what's principally taught there? And it says, uh, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so, you know, we're going to get into those things later on. The catechism gets into some of those duties. Um, you know, what is faith? What is repentance? And then what are the Ten Commandments? And uh, how do you pray in the Lord's Prayer? Um, and even uh, not only do those first two questions talk about the Word of God, but then later on in the Catechism, questions 88 and 89, get into the means of grace. Uh, you know, how does God uh, use the Word to build us up as Christians? Because God's Word is, is so powerful and transformative. I mean, I love uh, how the Word speaks of itself. You know, and, and that's, uh, when we talk about the authority of Scripture, it's, it's self-authenticating, right? It's, there's not some third party that comes along and says, this is God's Word, um, uh, and, you know, trust in it, but God himself attests to that. And um, I like, there's a book called Canon Revisited by Michael Kruger, which kind of says we need a holistic model of Scripture's authority that, you know, yeah, it's helpful that the church says these are our, this is our canon, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit and, and the Westminster Confession 1 gets into that. Um, uh, so it's, it's self-attesting. Scripture tells us how powerful it is, right? Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Um, Psalm 19 says, uh, God's word makes wise the simple. And so that's something that I'm always emphasizing in my pastoral ministry to people is that God's word is powerful um, and and it changes people. And that's one of the blessings of being a pastor for me has been to see God changing people and transforming people that, you know, over the years, they're not the same person they were when they first came to the church. And and we're not doing anything special other than trying to, to be faithful to the ordinary means of grace and and use this this great word that God's given to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sorry, I'm going all over the place. That's yeah, good. It's good. You you uh, when you read I, the first rule that you read, which number was that? The the um, the question here, the only rule. Yeah, that's it. So that word again. Why why were the Westminster divines intent on using the that word only. They could have said the best or any other adjective, but is there significance to them saying the only rule? Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reform Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4.
Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting at the fact that there's there's nothing quite like God's Word. I mean, these other there's many resources out there that can be helpful, um, but none of them, you know, none of them is what God uses to build up believers in their faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is this is what God has given to us and told us. Uh, you know, uh, when Paul is saying farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he's like, and I commend to you the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up. And so I think there's a, there's a uniqueness to God's word that you don't have in these other books that might be helpful. I mean, you can mm-hmm. read Seneca and Aristotle, all these, these philosophers or so forth, and there might be some helpful things there, but you can't build your life on on that, you know, and yeah. Jesus uses that yeah. picture of the house built on sand and the house built on rock and said, you know, the one on the rock is is the one who's hearing and doing what I'm telling you mm-hmm. to do. So, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind. Is there is there a sense, too, that at Westminster they're trying to... Um, they're trying to clarify without question that that scripture is the is the only main rule, despite what other let's say in Catholicism there's mm-hmm. also the recognition of the um, of tradition, right? Um, even within you know, as Reformed believers, we also understand the doctrine of natural versus special revelation. So there's a sense that we can understand some things, at least about God and the things that he has made. Um, yeah, that's why I'm pressing on that that word only. Yeah, kind of a, a Roman Catholic polemic that... Well, not only that, but just tr- making it so explicit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And even the catechism, you know, is a secondary standard. Right, it's mm-hmm. explaining the word, but it's always open to the correction of the word. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and that was uh, something that I appreciated from John Webster. I mentioned him yes. yesterday, but um, you know, in one of his sermons, he's he's pointing out the scripture that the church always has to be open to correction by the the word of God, uh-huh. and I think that is another reminder here that you know these um, as as much as I like the Westminster standards. Uh, they can be incorrect. You know, they're not infallible. They're not inspired by God, but they're trying to bring out and summarize and explain the Word of God, mm-hmm. which is inerrant, inspired, yeah. so forth. At any point in the in the Westminster uh, Shorter or Standards or anywhere in the these documents the divines put together, do they self-reference in relation to Scripture? What I mean by that, do they say, what were what has been laid out here is not scripture or on the same level as it or is that just kind of taken for granted well i know i know in the westminster confession it has a section on like synods and councils okay so for example it's like synods and councils may err and and have um including this one yeah i mean yeah. we're we're not perfect i think is what they were acknowledging right there yeah okay um Okay, good. Why, why then, why then does this uh, question or this topic of the authority of Scripture matter? Um, but before you answer that, the 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 question 
the question of priority, I think, is really important to address, meaning why is it that the divines begin with the question of God instead of the question of Scripture? <laughs> Sounds like you, you have something you're getting at. There. I don't. Um, it's an authentic question. Right. Well, all my questions are, I hope. <laughs> I have no uh, hidden agenda. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm the, uh, my dad's a lawyer. And so he taught me, you know, number one rule of a trial lawyer is always ask questions you already know the answer to. Uh, so I'd be a horrible lawyer then. Well, I, you know, that's what I've grown <laughs> up with. So um, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, because it's where do you start? Um, mm-hmm. Do you start with God? Do you start with the foundation for how we know God, right. uh, which is scripture? And, right. you know, the catechism starts with sort of a sense of linking man and God, right? Uh-huh. What is man's chief end? It's to yeah. glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. And then it gets right into that how question. And it's a, it's similar to the Heidelberg catechism, right? Where it starts out with this a me-centered thing in a sense. What is your only comfort in life and death? Um, and then it gets into me in reference to God. So... You know, there's a sense in which it starts with humans, human mm-hmm. beings like us, and, and our meaning and purpose in life. Um, but it's we can't answer that without reference to God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, we used GPS to get here to the studio today. Um, most people use that every day. Uh, and yet I'm, I'm uh, not so young that I, I can't remember times where the GPS would direct you the wrong place. And there's these, you know, even uh, television comedy shows that that riff on that, like, oh, uh, you, you turn right, follow the GPS instructions right into a lake. You know, <laughs> um, there's many maps and guides out there that that will mislead us. And, and that's why we need uh, an, a guide in scripture that is not going to mislead us. Yeah. It's not going to lead us astray. It's faithful in everything that it, it does. And, you know, God says in Isaiah 55, his word goes out and accomplishes what he um, wants it to accomplish. And it's, it's, you know, again, going back to who God is, it's Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. Well, part of that is the fact that God is still using his word. And so I think that one thing that's helpful for the church today is just to recapture this idea that God is still speaking not in a non-cessationist way, I'm not saying that, but through his word and by his spirit, right? The spirit of God works through and with the word. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's why, I mean, if we didn't believe in the authority of scripture and the, and the power of God through the word, I don't know how any, anybody could really get in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and proclaim that word um, and, and, and have, feel like it's going to make any difference. Mm-hmm. But God is is there behind it. So yeah. I, I know I try to I veered that question a different way, but <laughs> <laughs> you can put me back on track here. <laughs> it's kind of like how Google, going back to your map analogy, Google took our family on this very strange back roads, mm-hmm. like literally dirt roads journey. Oh, yeah. A f- couple months ago, we saw some herds of turkeys, flocks of turkeys. But it was very random. I think because on Google, you, sometimes you have to look out for the little leaf symbol, mm-hmm. like scenic route. Right. It's like, well, we didn't actually want that, but right. we got to where we were going. Anyway, um, 
why or or how does the Westminster Shorter Catechism help to reinforce the doctrine of the authority of Scripture for the everyday person in the, in the pew? Mm. Well, I mean, for one thing, it's it's sort of saturated in Scripture. You know, I I think that as Christians we should aspire to. I I don't remember if it was John Owen or some other Puritan who said they want to bleed Bibline, right? That, you know, we're so formed by and shaped by Scripture that it's, it's like in our veins, it's in our blood, you know. It, it almost becomes muscle memory that when we face a temptation, we think, oh, no, uh, th- this is what the Word says about this. Um, and I think that the, the catechisms and the shorter catechisms, they're saturated in in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's explaining what the scriptures principally teach. Mm-hmm. And so all of it is, is meant to be based on scripture. And, you know, in, in this version that I have here, the, the catechisms of the OPC, um, and confession, it's got the proof text. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the substance itself, it's, it's really trying to bring out what the scriptures teach. And then in, I mentioned, what is it, question 88, 89, it's getting into the scriptures, you know, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. And then 89, how is the word made effectual in salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Hmm. And then, you know, question 90, I think we, we need to recapture in the church a bit, because it's how do we receive the word rightly? You know, mm-hmm. how, how do we be good listeners mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings when in the sermon? I mean, and I, I think if you're in the Reformed tradition, you, you have an understanding of the importance of the word, because half of the, the service usually is devoted to hearing preaching. Um, and this question 90 says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Mm. So it's saying not just to be a, a hearer, but a doer also. Yeah, yeah. That was actually my next question, and kind of the way to close this session out is the the questions in the Westminster Shorter that are specifically addressing the authority of Scripture. Um, how or, or what in the church today, whether we call them aberrances or misunderstandings, um, I wouldn't go so far as to call them heresies, but things within the church today that maybe we're blind to, mm. even faithful churches, how do those specific questions and responses and proof texts in the Westminster Shorter Catechism help us address particular aberrances we see in the church today? Is there anything you can think of in, as specifics? Well, I think it reminds us that we don't need to dress up the word um, we don't need to dress up the service. You know, I, I guess you could say I'm an ordinary means of grace guy in the sense that I think sometimes we say, 
You know, why isn't the church, you know, more successful in the world's eyes, right? Why aren't there more people in my church or why, why aren't things happening? And then we say, well, let's, let's do something to make it more dramatic. I remember um, I had a, a great little preaching group with some local pastors where we would just have a brown bag lunch and talk about how we we're going to preach um, a various passage. And it was a great little ecumenical fellowship thing. Um, but I remember one time the guys were like, well, how are you going to preach this dramatically? You know, like, are you, could we act out something that's going on in this text? And I'm like, guys, <laughs> the word of God does not need uh, more drama. And in fact, we have a God ordained visual drop dramatic tool in the Lord's supper where mm-hmm. we have the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ sort of, you know, and the meaning of the gospel dramatized for us already. Um, and so, if anything, I think the the Westminster standards reinforce that um, what we need is is hard enough, faithful exposition of Scripture um, to trust that the Lord is going to use His His powerful Word to change lives, mm-hmm. and we don't need to put on a, a dog and pony show uh, to to make the Word special. Yeah. It's already special. Yeah, we just recognize that. So you at your church in particular, you didn't do like the the Barbie movie Sunday, or the Toy Story. Can't say that we did. Disney. <laughs> okay, good on you. <laughs> yeah, it's sad to see those things. Right. It's it's the point of being comical, and that but that's why something like the book that you three have written, mm-hmm. well, I think is so important because, um, I'm assuming that the the way that you've described or helped readers to understand these various questions and within the catechism is um, is helpful for the modern reader who's approaching this this catechism as uh, as something maybe older and a bit removed whereas the contemporary church with its focus on relevance doesn't seem to have time for it unfortunately so hopefully this will bring about some kind of resurgence of not just interest in the catechism and what it has to say, but also in what it can actually affect um, both for leaders in the church, but also those who sit and are, should be listening every day and then going and doing. Yeah. Um, Anything else about the authority of scripture that the Westminster catechism um, could address for non-believers who are presented these uh this these sections within the catechism well i think you know number one just there's purpose and meaning in life you know um people go about their days and they do it without without meaning and purpose um you know they go about their their work and i think it's it's um just a discouraging thing to think about suicide rates in society today. And I think we all know people that have probably taken their lives. And um, just that reminder that here there's hope, uh, that true hope, and um, that it's not just hope for the future of heavenly life, but it's it's hope that impacts now. I mean, that's the way biblical hope is. I think First John says, if you have this hope within, you're, you're purifying yourself, right? That there's the hope that we have as Christians really does impact the way we live now and gives us joy. And, and the Westminster 
shorter catechism gets into what are the benefits that accompany or flow from justification and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. And and it says assurance and and peace and joy and love, you know. And so I think um, what we're offering is something that people desperately need that, you know, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you, your, your last comments reminded me of um, Paul at the Areopagus in Acts 17, I think, where uh, they have this thirst for hearing something new, you know, and we're, we're not proclaiming something new. We're proclaiming something old, but we're saying this is where the truth is found. And yeah. so, you know, I know that, that I, the authors of our book, you know, myself and, and Bill and Jonathan, we, we love God's word and we want that to be contagious mm-hmm. and for the mm-hmm. readers to love God's word too. Yeah. Thanks. Good yeah. word. Thanks, everyone. Hope you tune in uh, next time for uh, another installment. And I think next week it's going to be Bill. And then we'll have Andrew again on The Fallen Sin. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for listening to All of Life for God by Reformation Heritage Books. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. Reformation Heritage Books is a nonprofit ministry aiming to strengthen the church through Reformed, Puritan, and experiential literature. To learn more about this ministry and how to support us, please visit rhb.org.